0: While we were marching through Georgia, everybody swing your honey, swing your high and low. The Alaman left for the old left hand around the ring you go. A grand old right, left walk on your heel and toe. From an edep pretty gal to Georgia. This is the quick version. This is the Wikipedia version of the story. In 1585, Walter Raleigh charged an Englishman named Ralph Lane to found a colony on Roanoke Island on the outer banks of North Carolina. Lane is described as vain, intolerant of criticism, and heavy-handed with the local Native Americans. The colony did not succeed, and in 1586, Lane and the colonists returned to England on a supply ship. Some men had been left behind to maintain Raleigh's claim on Roanoke, and in 1587 another colony led by John White was founded. White stayed to see the colony established and to see his granddaughter, Virginia Dare, born. Virginia is known as the first English child born in the New World to two parents who were starting new lives in the Roanoke colony. White then returned to England to gather supplies in 1588. He wouldn't see his colony again until 1590, a delay due to the naval requirements of a war with Spain. When he did return, the settlement was abandoned. The only clue to the colonists' fate was the cryptic word Croatoan carved into a tree. That's the story of the lost colony of Roanoke. We'll never know what happened to the colonists, and no trace of them was ever found again. That's the way I learned the story of the Lost Colony. And I knew it was true, because I heard it on Roanoke Island when my family visited the site of the Lost Colony. I was about 14, and from that day, the Lost Colony had a special place among my prized collection of stories and mysteries of the world, alongside the Oak Island Money Pit and the Bermuda Triangle. But... As you probably already know, there is so much more to it than that. Start with the word Croatoan. It was the name of a Native American settlement near Cape Hatteras. Before he left, White and some colonists agreed that if it were necessary to abandon the settlement, they would carve the name of their destination on a tree or a fence post. Some stories say that they further agreed to add a carved cross if they were moved under duress, and I've seen stories from that era that both confirm and deny that a cross was carved above the word Croatoan. White and the crew of the supply ship planned to visit Croatoan the next day, but a snapped anchor cable prevented them from traveling further throughout the outer banks, And after some more misfortunes, the ship was forced to return to England without a proper search being conducted. There were over a hundred colonists at Roanoke and to a large degree their fate is still a mystery. We may know that they left, probably peacefully and relocated. Walter Raleigh supposedly sailed to the New World to conduct a search for the colonists, but he reported that bad weather made it impossible to land and search the area. I've seen it implied that Raleigh never really attempted a proper search because he had a claim to Virginia and a monopoly over its natural resources. If someone were to find proof that the colony had failed, his monopoly would have been negated. Jamestown was founded in 1607 and its colonists did attempt to follow some hints and clues including stories of people in native villages wearing English style clothing. No conclusive sign of the colonists was found however and the lost colony drifted into legend. Rumors of Native Americans speaking English, pipes and buttons found in native villages, inscriptions found on other trees. Every once in a while the colonists would be brought back to the public's attention. We now change to a tale told by the Saturday Evening Post and Brunell Window, a student publication of Brunell University in Gainesville, Georgia. It's the story of a historical record written on 2,000 pounds of rocks that even the custodians of that record aren't taking 100% seriously. This is Moving Through Georgia, The Dare Stones. In 1937, a fellow named Lewis Hammond appeared in Georgia with a stone he claimed to have found on the banks of a river on the North Carolina-Virginia border. Keep in mind that this is inland and not on the outer banks. A professor at Brunel University, which was then a small private women's college, took interest in the stone and paid the finder $1,000 for it. You would too. The stone seemed to be a carved message from Eleanor Dare to her father John White explaining the fate of the Roanoke colonists. Apparently the stone was left on the banks of the river to be found by the search parties she expected her father to have combing the area. The front said, Ananias Dare and Virginia went hence unto heaven 1591. Any Englishman show John White Governor VIA. That A in VIA could be a G, making it short for Virginia. A stone marking the location where Eleanor's husband and daughter passed away is the answer to a historian's dream. The carvings continued on the back, and the language is stilted, and I'm sure it was hard work to carve the entire message. Some contemporary sources talk more about translating the stones than reading them because the Elizabethan English can be difficult to get through. So I'm going to read it in the closest that I have to modern English, but be warned that she does refer to the Native Americans as savages. Father, soon after you go for England, we came hither. Only misery and war for two years. Above half dead before two years more from sickness being four and twenty. Savage with message of ship unto us. Small space of time they afraid, I think that word is afraid, of revenge. Ran all away. We believe it, not you. Soon after the savages feign spirits angry. Suddenly murder all save seven. My child. Ananias too slain with much misery, bury all near four miles east of this river upon a small hill, names writ all there on rock, put this there also, savage show this unto you and hither we promise to give great plenty presents. It does sound like someone talking to a Native American in an old movie and signed with the initials E.W.D., which would have been Eleanor White Dare. So four miles east of the site where the stone was located lay a small hill where the victims of a Native American attack were buried, with their names carved into a nearby stone. The professor in possession of the stone had a career-making find in his hands. It starts to get complicated here, so I'm going to cover the discovery of the next stones fairly quickly. 47 more stones that tell an amazing story of survival and tolerance. Now, I'm mostly going to be working here from an article published in the Saturday Evening Post from 1941, who attributes their information to Dr. Haywood Jefferson Pierce, Jr., Professor of American History at Emory University, Atlanta and a Vice President of Brunel College, Gainesville, Georgia, the custodian and sponsor of the stones. After searching for the grave, Pierce offered a $500 reward to anyone who could provide the stone marking the graves of the 17 colonists. That stone never arrived, but he did get a visit from William Eberhardt, a builder from the Atlanta area. Although Pierce initially doubted that Eberhard had anything to offer, he was soon presented with 13 stones that had supposedly been found 12 miles south of Greenville, South Carolina. Ten marked burial sites, even though later digging under where the stones were supposedly found, did not produce any human remains. The other three stones were messages for Governor White signed by Eleanor Dare. The stones indicated that Dare and the other survivors were headed southwest with four goodly men. At Pierce's urging, Eberhart turned southwest and searched along the Chattahoochee River in Georgia. Moving through Georgia, remember? First, a hunter in Atlanta brought in a carved stone that he had found, in which Eleanor referenced a large Native American settlement on the river and stated that she had been shown much mercy. Then Eberhardt produced nine stones that he claimed to have found in a bend of the river 12 to 18 miles above Gainesville. An inscription read, Father, look five days to back trail, bury all upon hill near river. Definitely confirmation of the first stone story, which was found 75 miles away. Over the next few years, 22 more stones were found, telling the story of the colonists finding a home among the Cherokee in an area between Gainesville and Atlanta. The last stone is dated 1599 and is signed by a colonist named Griffin Jones announcing that Eleanor had died, leaving behind a daughter named Agnes. It's a touching story of a strong woman leading a group of refugees to safety, then taking refuge herself with the leader. She specifically states in one stone that she had a daughter with the chief and everyone was angry, but him. Touching, and sad, and inspiring, all at once. There's a lot here, and if I start discussing the specific case for and against the validity of the stones, well... You know, get comfortable. Actually, I'll just say that the Saturday Evening Post tore the credibility of the stones apart from their too consistent spelling, too clean appearance, possibly plagiarized from a play based on the lost colony that had been recently produced. They make a case that the stones were fake and that the finders of the stones had a history of fraud. Other publications as late as 1991 have tried to debunk the Saturday Evening Post debunking, but the damage was done. Even Brunau doesn't stand entirely behind the stones. The article where I got some of this information was entitled Brnau's Pet Rocks. The college maintains that the first stone may be authentic, but has relegated the others to the basement. Literally. You can make an appointment at the Gainesville campus, one person schedules viewings of the first stone and another schedules the remaining stones. I just want to remind you that Moving Through Georgia is a history podcast mostly focusing on Northeast Georgia. If you like what you hear, please consider leaving a positive review and please consider telling a friend. If you have any comments or questions, you can send them to me at movingthroughgeorgia at gmail.com. That's all one word, movingthroughgeorgia. And I'm still collecting stories, especially ghost stories. Now, apparently there is a ghost story around Brunel University that involves a ghost named Agnes. Funny, because Eleanor's last child was named Agnes. The Brunel publication even makes a connection between Eleanor's last child named Agnes and their own hometown ghost. They say that the ghost didn't seem to show up until the dare stones did. Everybody swing your honey, swing your high and low. The alamand left for the old left hand around the ring you go. A grand old right to left walk on your heel and toe. From an adept pretty gal to Georgia. That's all.